Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. It's quite some time ago, I decided I wanted to begin this adventure of exploring the concept or the idea of love. And this was one huge reason why. When I read the Bible and I started to see this idea of love, it didn't match up with anything I was seeing. I mean, nothing. I mean, I, I see love, I hear about love, we sing about love, we talk about love, there's stories about love, there's movies about love, but I had no idea what they were talking about. Because I read this book, but then I still go over here in a completely different definition. So I started this exploration, and I found this. Most people believe that love is a feeling. If, if you have been in a relationship longer than, let's say, a few weeks, you start to find out that's not true. Last week, I shared about my greatest relationship as a freshman where I got dumped after three weeks. My heart was broken. I thought I was in love. That wasn't love. That was just this gooey feeling I had that made me all tingly when I saw, saw her. And like, that wasn't love. This was, it was something different. But we start to say, look, love is a feeling. We hear songs about that, that there's something about it. And I also found that love is defined by the relationships we have in our youth. In our youth, love starts to define, find a definition of what it means to be in love. We start to have relationships with family members and friends and boyfriends, girlfriends, and all those things put together. So in our youth, we start to build, well, this is what love is. Then there's this other side, and we explored this last week. And I want to throw this out here again. If you weren't here or joining us uh, for the first time, we looked at John, uh, 1 John 3, 16 through 18. It said this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And so we found that love is sacrifice. Love means I have to give up something of myself. I have to actually then find that love is humble. It puts others' needs greater than myself. And on top of that, you start to see that love needs action. You can't say a bunch of things and not actually live it out. This verse gave us a whole new definition of love, and we came down to sacrifice. And there's an interesting thing about love. There's this innate building inside of us that's desiring and wanting. But love actually is like a diamond. It has a lot of different facets to it. And as you rotate the different facets, we start to see different characteristics or elements of love. And perhaps that's why it's so confusing to us. Because as we look at the different facets, we start to see the characteristics involved. We have definitions that have been told to us, experienced by us, maybe we lived through them, but they don't match up to the true definition that we see when God says he loves us. And how we are supposed to love each other the way that God loves us. So I've done a lot of work. And I came to this beautiful uh, conclusion. It took me a very long time, and I found out I am literally the world's worst lover. I am terrible. 
I'm not good at it at all. And you guys may be better than me, but I'm just here to admit to you, I stink at love. And my love issues are because for so long, I've never really loved anybody. Like really, honestly, truthfully love someone. And I'm not talking about the squishy feelings. I'm not even talking about the relationship to my wife or my kids. I'm talking from the depths of my soul, the deepest part of me, the parts that you guys can't see. And we just met a lot of you. So you're like, I don't even know who you are, Jason, but whatever, it's cool. And so you're seeing me for the first time. You don't know me. But I'm telling you what's deep inside of me. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at it because the more I dug into the the love of God, I started to see that it's going to take me giving up everything of myself to be able to create room for you. And I don't like that. I, I would much rather have my entire life focus on me, right? I mean, come on, if you're honest with yourself, you're like, okay, maybe I'm not that extreme, but maybe a little bit. There's something inside of you that wants your life to be about you, taking care of you. I want to be loved somebody by somebody. I want someone to care about me. I want someone to pour their life into me. I want, I want, I want. But the truth is, love is actually a little different look. And what I found in my own life is that I'm not good at this. And so I started to dream. What would it look like? Dream with me. What would it look like if a few people in Washington County, wherever you're from, actually start to love the way God loved? In their communities, in their homes, in their jobs, in their schools, that they push everybody forward while they pull themselves back. That they sacrifice for others and give love fully out with nothing ever expected in return. Could you imagine what would happen to our community? We shared last week about one young man's unbelievable journey of how the accuser, this off-duty police officer, shoots his brother and in front of the entire nation says, can I hug you? I don't want anything bad for you. Instead, I hope that you find Jesus Christ. And this young man at 18 has shocked the world that people are asking the question, what is love? And so we're going to dig into it today. And we're going to look at a new facet. Love is fascinating. But I want you to hear the story through John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles under chairs spread out. Feel free to use that. It's yours to take. You can take it home. If you have a smartphone, iPad, um, there's Bible apps It's totally cool to pull it out here. You guys can use those things. Um, Please don't Snapchat unless it's about the message uh, because, you know, read the Bible instead. It'd be great, please. But use your uh, iPhones. It's awesome. John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. This is a fascinating, controversial passage. And Jesus is tested on his views and his actions of love. It'll also be on the screens on each of the sides. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it's commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a bias of accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to him, 
Let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I, I like to put ourselves in, in a story. This is a, over 2,000 years ago. It's a very different culture. So let's put ourselves inside of the story. Let's move into more of a movie-type thinking and start to visualize what's happening here. It's early in the morning. It's at dawn. So the sun is cracking. The heat of the day has not yet hit them. And Jesus is in the temple. And it's often, culturally, that's what they did. They were there early. They are there all day long. And so they were there right at dawn. They'd be there teaching. So Jesus comes into this group, and he's sitting on the ground. Okay? Sitting on the ground. He's not on a stage. He's sitting on the ground. He's teaching everybody. And so then we hear this ruckus. There's a roar coming. These people are yelling and screaming. You hear shouting. You hear crying. And this woman is taken and thrown into the middle of this circle. This woman most likely was beaten. Her clothes were torn, if she had any clothes on at all. She was caught in the middle of the act of adultery. So she's thrown into the middle of this, and her accusers bring her in. It may have happened right then that morning. It may have been the night before, and they waited for Jesus. But either way, this woman is thrown into this, into this middle of this circle. Now, for the sake of us this morning, could you imagine us grabbing you the next time you sin, dragging you here on a Sunday morning, throwing you in the middle of everyone, and you saying, Jason, what should we do with this person? The guilt, the shame, the embarrassment. What if you like you were caught in the middle of an affair and they grabbed you from where you were, threw you in the middle, and we're putting it all over social media. We're telling everything about it. We're blasting out what a terrible person you are. And because of that, according to the law, we have to now kill you. That's what's happening. And so she's in the middle of this circle. She's not standing up and like, hey, guys. She is on the ground, weeping, scared out of her mind, knowing that they're going to stone her later. And so there's commotion, and people are yelling, and they're accusing her. We saw her, and they're yelling, and they're like, so Jesus, what are you going to do about this, man? You know the law says that this woman has to die. You know that, Jesus, so what are you going to do? And they're setting him all up into this trap because there's really no way he could get out of this in their minds without being in some sort of trouble. Either he's going to be in trouble with the people for not doing it, right? He's breaking their law. He's going to be in trouble with the government because only Rome, who occupied the area, could have capital punishment laws. So if he said, okay, killer, he predicted, predicted the verdict, which means Rome would come after him, they got him. If, they do, if he doesn't say something, then they can say, hey, you're disrespecting our law. According to Moses, they got him. But let's pause on our story. This woman's in the circle. We're all around her. We're all staring at her. Some of us are horrified. Some of us are like, yeah, she should die. She, she messed up. It's all over our Instagrams. It's all over our feeds. But let's go back. The role of women during this time was very different than our day. 
For those of us who see and read or know a little bit about the Bible, the Bible split into two portions. We have the Old Testament version of, of the scriptures. And the Old Testament portion of the books is the story of God's story with humanity and the need of us needing someone to save us. The New Testament portion of the books is that when Jesus now says, here's my answer, it comes, he's the answer, and then our writings. And so we understand what we call the new covenant, new portion. In the Old Testament portion of books, women were really highly regarded. Women were leaders. Women had important roles. They had important jobs. They were able to worship in the temple. We see them with Moses, and they, there was no separation. They had different roles, and everybody has roles, but they were given great responsibility. Women in the Old Testament were looked upon for wisdom. Women of the Old Testament had high, high stature in the culture. But by the time of Christ, something switched drastically. The role of women moved from being high stature to extremely low stature. Women during the time of Christ were pushed out because of customs and rules that were added over the years by religious leaders. They weren't allowed to have a job. They could only have a job if there's no other way for them to ha get money because they either weren't married or their husband had died, but they weren't even really seen outside of their home. The women who had high stature, who, who would be someone respected, would never be seen outside of their home. Then we see that there are different things happening in, sort of the, in their lives that separated them from the temple courts. They were said, you can come to worship. We have a woman's spot for worshiping. And in fact, we don't even believe it's worth our time to teach you the Torah, to teach you the first five books of the Bible, which was very important to the Jewish culture. So we're not going to teach it to you. And the hard part of that is that was how everybody learned how to read and write. So most likely, this woman was illiterate, had no job, was caught in adultery. She's a low person on the totem pole in their culture because women overall at that time weren't loved and respected. Now, we know very well in our culture in our day and age that women are getting that voice back. For a time there within the American culture, it shifted too. And women now are saying like, hey, it's not all right for you to do things to me. It's not all right for you to say inappropriate things to me. And there's been a voice that's come back that the woman in our culture is saying, hey, we're equal too. We have an equal part of things. And in the Old Testament, we see this culture where women had a voice, unique, separate, but a beautiful voice. And now in Jesus' culture, these women are seen as almost nothing. And then comes Jesus Christ, who blows everything up. Because he didn't believe in that stuff. He taught to women, engaged with women, cared for women, spoke and taught in a way that no one ever seen before. And in fact, in that culture, Jesus wouldn't even be talking to a female, especially in the temple courts. But he, he it wasn't who he was, man. He was something that goes beyond all this. Because religious customs and cultures and all that, that's not what Jesus came for. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to be with broken, hurting people. He came with people who are mosaic people. People who admit that we need a savior, man. And he said, this is who I'm here for. In fact, he says, I'm not here for healthy people. I'm here for people who are sick. And here this woman sits as a nothing in society. She's caught in an affair. Should be served the death penalty. But something happens. Let's read this passage again now. Think about what we just talked about. At dawn, 
he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to him, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. In Mosaic law, not Mosaic us, Mosaic, the law of Moses. So there's Mosaic church, Mosaic law. Okay, two different things. Mosaic law, the law of Moses. Stoning is what was going to happen with anybody who's caught in adultery. The funny thing about this, according to their law, is that both the man and the woman are supposed to come together to be accused. But in this instant, they bring only the woman. Now, we don't know why. We have no idea why. But she was caught in the act of adultery, so we can assume that there's two parties involved. Lots of theories, lots of thoughts of why. We could speculate all day. But first of all, they broke their own law. Secondly, they bring her in knowing that Jesus is going to have to address this, and he's probably not going to get out of this well. The law, the Old Testament law, and the way of God is to show us what is the way of God versus the non-way of God. And so the way of God says, look, it's not good for you to have an affair. It's not good. It's not a healthy thing for you. It's not my way. It's not the way of uh, I want for my people. So they write these laws. And they write these laws on purpose. And these laws are written to create a way or a pathway for the nation of Israel to live the way according to God. We have the same rules, the same ideas um, for us as believers when Jesus is teaching and we're learning from God not to make our life super lame. But the purpose of this is to create a pathway of the kingdom of heaven. If you've never heard of the concept of the kingdom of heaven in the scriptures, they talk about it over and over again. In the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've heard about this kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is this. There is a way that God has for us that is his way, and then there's all of humanity. These two things are very different. And the way of God is love. That's the way of God. But if you want to break outside of my way, well, then there has to be some sort of punishment. You have to see that there's another way outside of my way. And so that's what's happening here. So Jesus then sees this woman, and he starts writing in the sand. Now, a lot of questions about what he was writing. If you've ever heard this passage before, maybe you've been like, ooh, what is he writing? Nobody knows. There's lots of ideas. There's lots of speculation. But what we do know is this, because we can speculate again all day. What is this guy writing? Is he writing their names? Nick, you sin. John, you sin. Like, is he writing names? Some have said he wrote the word forgiven in the sand. Some said that he was writing the Ten Commandments. We don't know what he's writing, but this is what we do know. He wrote something so robust that a group of people who were just all screaming kill her said, I can't do that. I'm gonna, I, I can't 
do it. This guy knows something about me or about us that I've got to drop my stone. Something so powerful that it transformed their minds to say we, as a mob, are not going to do this. And as Pharisees, they knew a lot. So what did he write? We don't know. But we know this. The older men started walking away first. We can say maybe there's some wisdom to these men. Maybe he started writing their names first. Maybe they're the first to realize, uh, man, we're not going to get them. We're not going to get Jesus today. Because this woman is just a scapegoat for the story of them wanting to frame her. But they start walking away one by one. Then the younger ones start walking away. Now, I want you to just put yourself back in the circle here. She's on the ground. She's weeping. It's a dusty place. We'll assume that she's, she's crying, and so she has like the, steer, the tear-stained face with like the, the mud on it. You've seen that before. And she's sweaty because they've been throwing her through and beating her up. And they, she's on the ground. They pick her up. Stand before us as we give you your judgment. And Jesus goes on the ground, starts riding, and all this crowd starts walking. Now, she's looking around, one by one. I would still be crying. I'm going to assume she is. And this feeling that all of a sudden, this might not be the day I die, starts to come over her. Maybe this is the day I'm going to not die. And she starts getting the tingles, and her hair starts standing up on her arms. And she's looking around, and she's starting to realize all these people are walking away. And she's looking at this guy, Jesus, who's riding on the ground. And she's looking around, like, what is happening to me right now? What's happening? And she looks at this man on the ground. What would you say? If everything that you have done wrong, ever in your life is put on display in the middle of this circle. And we could all destroy you for that, but we all walk away. What would you feel like? That just happened to her. And so she's sitting there. She's thinking, I just got spared from death. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this really happening right now? Like, I was, I was supposed to be killed. Wait, I'm alive. I, I'm alive. Like, if you were about to die and you were set free, you were pardoned, like, what would you feel in that moment? That you get another chance. What would you care about? What would you think about? They say that there's two things when it comes to the end of our days. First of all, this. Everybody wants more time. I wish I had more time. Just give me a few more days, God. If I had one more week, I would change the world. God, if I could just have one more month. God, can I have one more year? God, I'm, I'm, I'm young. I've got lots of time. But then you find out maybe you don't. And we start pleading with God. Everybody wants more time. Secondly, people on their deathbed say the things that they regret are not the things that you think. They regret that they worked too much in their life. I spent too much time in my work. Getting money meant nothing. I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have been more caring, giving, and loving. On the deathbed, what people talk about the most is how they could have loved and given out more of themselves because they spent a lot of their life taking. And so this woman was just given a brand new shot at life 
on the brink of death, someone loved her. Someone cared about her. Someone knew about her. She was not perfect. She was haggard. She was messed up. She wasn't looking in her best at that moment. She was caught in such a heinous crime that's both embarrassing and shameful and all of these things. When she was supposed to be dead, she was given life just because somebody loved her. Somebody loved her. The man who was with her didn't love her because he certainly wasn't there. Jesus was. These are the type of people that Jesus came to be with. And so he sits here and he says to her, she says like, (laughs) he's gone. And Jesus is like, where's everybody? Gone. Then you can go too. Now, in their culture, in their law, to have somebody to be accused of something, you need witnesses. You need witnesses. You need more than one witness to what was happening. And there's only Jesus and this woman. There wasn't a second witness to accuse her of anything. And so here we see this woman standing, sitting, kneeling, crying, wherever she was at this point in the circle, overwhelmed, like, okay, this guy could still kill me, possibly. He's like, I'm not, I'm not here to accuse you. You can go. So this passage, and this is the first time you've heard it, maybe you've heard it before, changed my life forever. It changed my life forever because I realized that God is so in love with us that regardless of our situations, the things you've done, the places you've gone, the things you've said, no matter what you bring to the table, God loves. And know how serious the crime, no matter what's been done to me, I need to love the same way. This facet of love changed me so much when I explored what this passage did. How can I ever hold you guilty of anything when I've been freed of so much? If you're not sure about Christianity or faith, or you're kind of exploring, you're like, I'm just not sure if I want to really believe in this Jesus thing. I'm going to tell you this. If, if I'm 100% wrong, okay, I've lived a life of love that other people have experienced Christ, and I would do it all again in a heartbeat. Because when there's hate, I try to bring joy and love. When there's separation, I try to bring unity. When people are saying that I'm not good enough or you're not good enough, I want to bring and say, I believe in you, because that's what Jesus Christ did. And I'm trying to mimic my Savior. And my Savior is bringing hope and love into the world. He's our answer. Because our society would say, well, stoner. That's what she deserves. Our society is built upon a earned and given thing. So you earn it, you get it. You're bad, you get bad things. You're good, you earn good things. It's earned. And grace is this beautiful thing that just blows our mind because grace isn't easily explained. If we go all the way back to Genesis, we see this beautiful story of God and mankind. In the beginning, God created us, and we were awesome. And then, a couple chapters in, we blow up the entire thing. And from Genesis, through that really thick book of the Bible, all the way to the end, God is creating a way, pursuing us, loving us, we mess up. Pursuing us, loving us, we mess up. Pursuing us, loving us, we mess up. Forgiven, 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 forgiven. It continues all the way to the very end of the book until Jesus says, I'm done with this, it's over. And that's how it ends. And at the very end of the book, we see our Savior coming back 
now as the king. And from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the story of God's love rings so unbelievably loud that if we would take the time to just listen to what he's saying, you will experience love for the first time for real. And when you experience this type of love, you want to give that love back out to other people because our world is so hungry for this type of love. It took one young man, 18 years old, whose brother was wrongfully murdered to change the world. And everybody's talking about who loves like this. You can do the same thing because that man, that young man, was just like Jesus in that circle. He said, I, I forgive you. I don't, he said, I don't even want you to go to jail. Who says that? Men and women who are transformed into the image of Christ. I want you to look at this verse, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. It's up on the screen here with us. It says this, But because of his great love for his God, who is, hear this, rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. If you get tired of hearing about grace and God's love for you and how he's forgiven you, I want to challenge you. I don't think you really understand it. Because every time you hear the word grace, it should put you to the place of the things that you messed up this week. Let, nay, let's say this, that you messed up this morning on the way here. Because come on, be honest, y'all. Who fought with their spouses? Whose kids weren't ready on time? What words do you say under your breath? Come on, like, it's Sunday in America. I know how this goes because it happens in my family every week. So I know what's going on, right? And by the time I hit this stage, God's grace and mercy has to flow over me for me to have the ability to even speak about his love. Not because I've got it all together, but because I fall in the knees before Jesus when stones are raised above me every single day. And he says, you're not guilty because you're with me. You're not guilty because that's my boy. That's my son. I died and he said that he believes in me and what I did on that cross for him. So because of him, I'm free. I'm free because of him. So when stones hang over my head, even this morning, I fall and just say, God, thank you so much. Thank you for grace. I'm forgiven and I don't deserve it. So I want to talk about that type of love to everybody. I talk about it all the time. I want to talk about it to you. I want to scream it off the mountaintops for all those people who feel like they're in the circle. And let's just face it, our society all feels like stones are over our heads there's a reason why social media is causing such a huge problem because now we use another way to play, place blame and hurt and pain on people. Now, I love social media. We're all over social media. I'm not saying anything negative. What I'm saying, it's another platform for us to raise stones instead of raising love. And maybe if we understood grace, we would understand our God better. Paul Zoll has this beautiful description, this beautiful, beautiful definition. He says this, Grace is unconditional love toward a person who does not deserve it. For all of you people who are tweeting and writing and thinking, this is, this is your take home. Grace is unconditional love 
toward a person who does not deserve it. Unconditional love. I just choose to love you. You haven't earned it. There's no way you're going to earn it. I just choose to love you. That's grace. God's grace for us is so unbelievable. It stops people in their tracks. Justin Holcomb wrote an article that says, what is grace? He says it perfectly. He says this, Unfortunately, grace is the most needed and best understood in the midst of sin, suffering, and brokenness. The conflict is that we live in a world of earning and deserving. Those all result in judgment. That is why everyone wants and needs grace. Judgment kills. Only grace makes alive. A shorthand for what grace is, it's mercy, not merit. Grace is the opposite of karma, which is all about getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve and not getting what you do deserve. I hear the words karma is thrown all over the time, right? All over the place. Oh, karma's going to get you. What if it says, ah, grace says you're free. Karma makes you look for something bad to happen to you because you've done something bad. Now bad things are going to happen to you. Our God says, you know what I've done for you? I've set you all free. And the more bad you do, I'm saying stop sinning. It's hurting you. It's hurting our world. Stop sinning. But you're forgiven. That's grace. When we look at it through those eyes, we start to see a different type of love, a different type of grace, a different type of mercy. We start to see a facet of love that starts to stop and say, who is this God that would take these rocks that are around me to, to drop on my head and says, you're free. I don't accuse you. You're free. It doesn't make sense to me. And love doesn't make sense to me. Grace doesn't make sense to me. But all I can tell you, my friends, is that I am so unbelievably thankful that there is this thing called grace in my life. Because I don't know about y'all, but I need it every day. Every day. I, I wish that when you go to seminary, you stop sinning, but you don't. I wish when you started a church, my whole life has changed. Look, I'm perfect, man. I'm not. I wish. But you know what the thing is about that's crazy about this? Is that the more I understand God and grace, my sin brings me to my knees, which makes me call out to him. Because in my brokenness, I say, I need a savior every day. Jesus died one time for all. But every day I approach that for his grace and mercy and say, thank you for what you've done for me. Because it's through him that we're free. During worship time, we talked about a stone. Underneath your chairs, there's a stone. If you have it, you're holding it, it's on the side. I want you to grab that stone for a second. And these stones, you don't like holding it, do you? I washed them for you. They're kind of clean. They came from my garden. In Jesus' day, they wouldn't have used such small stones. They'd have used about tangerine size, a little bit bigger, because this is one of the most gruesome ways to die. And depending on where they were in the culture and different times, they would have these stones. So it wasn't a quick death, but it would be a painful, long-suffering death. Until the end, then they'd have a death blow. They'd come and finally crush the skull of the accused. But they would take these stones one by one, screaming and throwing at this person. Sometimes they were tied up. Sometimes they were buried in the ground up to their waist. 
And these stones were a way of corporal punishment. But these stones, imagine these little things being thrown at you. And some of you got some bigger ones, too. Could you imagine? Every time you messed up, every sin, every wrong thing. But this is the beautiful thing about Christ. He says, now you're forgiven. So you today have people who have hurt you. You have people in your life right now that you would like to take that stone and throw it square at them. I know because there's people like that in my life too. Here's the problem, my friends. I can't throw that stone because Jesus didn't throw the stones at me. That stone you hold, someone has hurt you. Someone has wronged you. Someone deserves punishment. Maybe it happened today. Maybe it happened in your childhood. There's someone that has hurt you, who is guilty, who has sinned against you or sinned against your family or sinned against a friend. There's someone in your mind you say, ugh, they're guilty. I'm going to do something huge here today. I'm going to ask you to forgive that person. And in a minute here, I'm going to read this verse. I'm going to ask you to stand up in a minute. I'm going to read this verse again. I'm going to ask you, at the count of three, if you're willing to drop your stone together, let it go. Because that stone represents to you how much God is forgiving you of. We can't throw stones because Jesus says we're free. How can we throw stones at somebody else? Simply by dropping a stone, we start a movement of love that can transform our community and the world. Will you please all stand with me? Hold your stones until I tell you to as I read this verse. And as those stones are dropped, I want you all to listen and remember the sound that this is going to make. Now, they didn't have tile floors in Jesus' day, but you would have heard thuds as one by one the stones are dropped. So listen to this verse. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one by one, one at a time. The older ones first, only until Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. He said, then, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. For those of you who are holding guilt and shame and rocks, that should be stoned, would you forgive them now? Let go because Christ has forgiven you. Let's drop our stones together. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.